As always, thank you, Randy. Uh, hello, Church at the Red Door. Um, good to be with you uh, virtually today. Uh, we continue our progress through uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, as we saw, we kind of concluded uh, chapter four last week. Before we get going, I want to let everybody know we've got, uh, as many of you know, an extraordinary few weeks coming uh, up uh, in front of us here. And uh, next Sunday is going to be Palm Sunday. There's going to be a Good Friday service. Randy may have alluded to this. And then Paul, obviously, uh, is going to conduct that. And then Paul also is going to bring, the Lord's really put something in his heart for Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be working towards, we've got a very special shoot for you that we're going to do for Easter. Now, we, again, have tried everything possible to actually physically gather. It was our goal for the last several months, and it has just not been possible for us to do it. So we're going to take some steps to do a really special morning, and I, I hope you will all join us, and I hope you'll join us. We'll have two uh, airings. I hope you'll join us that morning, um, and we're, we're excited about it. So anyway, just kind of this next two weeks, profound for us who are Jesus' apprentices. This is the really the epicenter of the transformation, the change, the turn, if you will, of all humanity. I mean, if you see history, as I do, and many of you do as well, through the lens of history, his story, the story of Jesus and the redemption of the earth, the plan, the purposes, uh, everything else just kinds of fade, kind of fades away. So this is the epicenter of our faith, both his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 suggests, this is the gospel by which you are saved. Everything according to the scriptures, and then it culminates, obviously, in something that is transformative for all of us. I mean, this is the moment. You know, the resurrection is the moment. So I just want you to be contemplative over the coming weeks, thinking about Jesus, you know, moving in on Palm Sunday and how they celebrated him as king, and, and obviously the death. And I mean, we just got some extraordinary things coming up. Palm Sunday, then Good Friday, then we'll do our Easter service uh, on the following Sunday. So I'm excited to bring that to you. I think it's going to be a very special morning and I think it's uh, something maybe many of you are going to have family in and uh, gather them around the television or whatever it is and, and, and join us on Easter. So anyway, you ready to roll? Let me just again open us in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I'm excited to get again here into Luke chapter 5, the unpacking of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Uh, it's so informative. It changes our lives, not just in small ways, not in uh, little compartmentalized ways, but in totality. And help us see that again in the simplicity of Jesus' response to a leper this morning. Now, Lord, give me the, your words, not mine. Impact people's lives wherever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready to roll this morning? Here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 5, I'm going to go ahead and read here uh, verses 12 through 15. And we're going to pick some powerful things up uh, in weeks to come after Easter. I'll continue this and we'll get into this. One of the really exciting things too is this healing of this paralytic. And there's so much that surrounds that and that uh, I'm excited obviously to bring that to you as well. So, but to this week, this first portion of Luke chapter 5. Okay, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered, covered with leprosy. Again, we've talked a little bit about leprosy in the past, but... Leprosy just desensitizes you. You end up losing digits, fingers, and everything because you simply cannot feel hot and cold. It is a, as many have said before, it is a living death. I mean, this was an absolute horror show. 
People were called to stay, you know, six feet away. It was the ultimate in social separation. And uh, there was just this big, you know, stay far away and don't even get downwind. And there were all kinds of restrictions on these people. These people were isolated. They were ashamed. Uh, you couple that with on top of that, many people thought they were suffering. And during that time, suffering from leprosy because of either their sin or the sins of their fathers. Something had happened. They were culpable. Uh, you can imagine the kind of a life this would have been. And yet, here we have this leper, this man, covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him, saying, Lord, now catch this, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's going to be their, kind of their, my launch point this morning question we're going to be asking this morning is in fact Jesus willing not just to heal the physical malady but the total us our soul is he willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is he willing and many of you say well of course he's willing I mean that's why we're Christians and let me tell you something deep in our psyches there are many dark places that lurk and we ask and Satan tempts and he whispers in our ear is he willing? Again, another way, as we saw Jesus combating Satan's temptations in the wilderness, this is going to give you more artillery to be able to battle that. Is he willing? Have I gone too far? Have I gone over the edge this time? Is he willing? Again, and then the act of faith that this leper stated very clearly, you can cleanse me. You, you have the power and the authority. He, he believed that with all of his heart. And then Jesus stretched out his hand and, and touched him. Now notice, touching him is a big deal. You did not touch lepers. I mean, you didn't have anything to do with it. There were specific protocol, even in the law, in terms of cleansing the house of a leper and, and how you dealt with leprosy. It was really science ahead of its time. They didn't have an understanding of the, the small uh, microorganisms and all this little, the little unseen realm that uh, we would get later with a, with a telescope, uh, or excuse me, and, and so what happens is they didn't understand that, but God clearly understood that. And so they, they stayed far away, and yet Jesus, Jesus touched him. And then Jesus simply makes this statement, I am willing. I love that. So powerful. Be cleansed. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Now, there's a, a lot packed into that. Uh, this is important for him to do, to make an offering. If somebody had been cleansed of leprosy, they were to go back to the temple, make an offering. Jesus, again, is subjecting both himself and his ministry to the legal requirements of the Mosaic law. So he wasn't trying to say, hey, we're way outside the constraints of the law. We know from Matthew 5 that Jesus actually was the fulfillment of the law, not only in its, its moral directives, but as it relates to type and fulfillment, Jesus was very powerfully uh, the one who would eventually fulfill the law. Uh, again, giving him credence to his claim that he was the Messiah, that he was God in human flesh. No man had ever been able to fulfill the law, and God knew it. And so it says, go show yourself to the priest is it, and offer, your cleanse, offer an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. Now, what happened is, it goes on, but the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus 
himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Now we'll we'll see in weeks to come when we look at the paralytic, many of these Jews from uh, from Jerusalem had now come up north to Capernaum where Jesus, around the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was doing uh, the majority of his ministry. And they were there probably as a function of hearing about this leper among all the news that was traveling. So uh, whether or not he kept quiet or not, you know, um, and so what happens is we press forward uh, into the future and we can see that Boy, the crowds continue to gather. Words getting out. Now, I want to. I want to. Before we move on to this conceptual idea of is Jesus willing, that I think will transform your lives. Some of you, again, may generically say, "Yes, I believe that." I mean, I believe that Jesus is willing, but then deep down, we we kind of we, we we don't. There are areas of our life that we don't aren't for sure that Jesus. Is willing, But before we do, I want to look at verse 16. Jesus himself, again, would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. We see that over and over. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Silence and solitude. How, what a critical aspect that is to be able to hear from the Lord, to be able to do it. I love uh, the commentator Barclay. Listen to what he says. He says, the love and the eyes of God. When Jesus was away in the wilderness, lonely places, time alone with the Lord, the love and the eyes of God compensated him, that's Jesus, for the hate in the eyes of men. I love that. The love in the eyes of God that he saw when he was away in that in those moments of solitude, solitude compensated him for the hate that he was feeling towards uh, a world that was going to reject him, spurn him, and eventually crucify him. Many in the world, at least the world system. So there was compensation. Let me tell you something. When you get away and you get off in quiet and solitude, sometimes, you know, this pandemic has forced us into places but let me tell you something, it's powerful if we can embrace those moments. Mine are usually, and I've said it before, mine are usually very early in the morning. Uh, first, When I very first wake up, still dark. I mean, those are my moments that I am best, uh, most attuned. Of course, I can pray during the day and pray in the evenings and things, but I am most attuned, still dark. And those are my times of quiet and solitude. And I really, uh, I feel his presence. And sometimes when I'm suffering, maybe accusations or you know, I, I don't really consider it persecution, but sometimes things come against me in ministry uh, from outside and inside the church. And let me tell you something, those compensate me. When I look into the eyes of God in, in those moments, it compensates me from sometimes what I feel from others that may not be so positive. So uh, I love that from Barclay. Now, again, let me just say this. Maybe you grew up and just somehow you grew up in a Christian home and from a very early age, it was built into the very fabric of how you viewed the world. Maybe from an early age, you just kind of believed that God was willing. God loved you. You understood that. You've always seen him as a compassionate, loving God that reached out in grace to you. That certainly is the gospel. Let me tell you something. You are profoundly, profoundly blessed because of that. Many do not have that. Maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian faith, or maybe they grew up in a a household, but it was very legalistic. And they always saw God as a God who would immediately, always angry with them, always just, you know, always ready to strike out, always ready to punish somewhere down the road. There's just that sense, and it lingers in, and, I, and let me tell you something. I feel that, I, I have felt that in my own experience, but I have sat with hundreds of people and I have seen this emerge, even in people that you couldn't fathom, that they would still cling to some of these ideas. 
well, maybe Jesus is not willing. Maybe I have gone too far this time. Maybe I, maybe I have failed too many times and God is just done with me. And, and there is that sense in so many people. And, and let me tell you something. Many then would have that sense. They maybe don't have any concept of what Jesus said about himself and the ministry, don't really understand the gospel, may have a perception that they do, that they understand kind of the Christian uh, basic theological structure. And yet they turn and they become atheists. And why? Well, I believe many people become atheists or at least agnostics, but many atheists and say, I don't even believe in God. Why? Because could you live with that kind of dissonance in your mind? I mean, okay, let's say I'm going to believe in God. And yet my conception of God is God is not willing to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that he's perpetually angry with me, that I have gone too far. I've pushed beyond the point of no return. And because of that, can you blame people for becoming atheists if that's their perception of God? In other words, I can't live with the, the thought that that kind of a God exists and that that God may be at the end of my life and I may meet him in some afterlife and stand accountable to him. It is much easier to live life on this planet by just displacing the very idea of God if that idea is founded in an unwillingness to come and have any kind of interaction with us and certainly to forgive us. I just don't know that you can blame. And so people just jettison the idea of God. And even though they can look around in creation and say, you know, there must be some fountainhead of this creative genius that I can see, they just push it aside because their idea, if I let that God in, it will be, it will look like this. Now, let me say this. In some ways, that's, there's a truth to that. I mean, the Bible's very clear that God is incredibly holy. No man, back early on in Exodus, no man can see the face of God and live. We see God act in time and space, in justice, especially through the story of the nation of Israel. We know that God is holy. We know that we see Isaiah and others as we've seen before. We saw Peter, you know, just feeling he was in the presence of God uh, through Jesus and they fall to their face because of the holiness of God. We see Revelation where myriads upon myriads of angels are bowing down and worshiping. I, I mean, we cannot underestimate. This is not painting the picture of some grandfatherly, you know, let boys will be boys kind of a mentality. God is holy and perfect and pure and he deserves to be feared in, in the sense that we recognize his power and our unworthiness. Of course, there is absolutely true. But when Jesus comes on the scene, we see God's kindness. Jesus is God's kindness towards men. Think about it. Romans 2 verse 4. What does lead people to, you know, okay, I'm going to change. I, I, I'm going to change. It's kindness. It's God's kindness. Do you think lightly, Paul says to the Romans, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and his restraint and his patience, not knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? It's a picture of God being willing. When Jesus came down and that leper, a very picture of sin in their minds, of shame and, and, and futility and a million miles away from God. Certainly a, a God wouldn't afflict a man with this kind of a disease unless he had in some way deserved it. And Jesus says, I'm willing. Be cleansed. 
God in Jesus was saying for all time to all of humanity, my patience, my forbearance, my kindness in Jesus. Look, when Jesus comes into the room, we can stay in the room with the Holy God. Let me say that again. When Jesus comes into the room of your life, you can then have relationship with God. Without Jesus, you're fine to believe in a wrathful, just, you know, holy, and maybe an angry God, okay? But in Christ, God has demonstrated once and for all the kindness that he is showing to his creation. And the question is, would you be willing to do it? Do you think that God has, you know, just, okay, now I'm not gonna hold anybody accountable because of what Jesus did? No, let me, let me, be clear about this. God's justice was not constrained in Jesus. You gotta understand this, now catch this. God's justice, the, because he hates sin so much, it wasn't constrained in Jesus, okay? It was actually carried out upon Jesus. Are you with me? God's justice didn't stop at the cross and say, okay, I'm not gonna pour out my justice. He poured it out completely. It wasn't constrained in Jesus, it was poured out upon Jesus. And because of that, he now can go to us and through Christ, God has one response to us. I am willing. I don't care where you are. I'm willing. I don't care how bad you failed. I'm willing. And that's what over these next several weeks, you know, Good Friday eventually leading to Easter and prior to that, even Palm Sunday, as we look at this, we've got to understand this is the story. God pouring out his justice upon his own son so that he can, in Christ, be generous and kind and long-suffering with us. I mean, he's willing. I, I, don't know, I don't know how that grabs you this morning, but especially during this time of year, it really, it grabs me at all times, but especially during this time of the year, when I think about, when I think about that Good Friday and what went down and his justice being poured out upon his own son, Boy, it just sends shivers up my arms at this moment. Okay, so here's the question. I wanna, I wanna look at a few things this morning. How do we really know? Let's go back into the text. How do we really know that Jesus is willing? Okay, well, first of all, he stated it, okay? His accusers stated it, strangely enough. And then the prophets had stated it. They'd been talking about it forever. And we're gonna look at a few of those things. Okay, you ready? First of all, Jesus, his entire, whole, complete, everything, undisputed, prophesied, everything. Mission was clearly stated. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You know, we know it. We, I mean, this is, again, this is the one verse probably more people know. It's, it's kind of the, if you were to kind of dilute the entire gospel down to one simple statement, it would be this. For God so loved the world. In other words, for God was so willing to cleanse the world. Think of it like that. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how he was going to cleanse it. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge it, no, but that the world might be saved through Jesus. Look, it was so clearly stated. Jesus stated, this is my mission, my entire complete, you know, this is it right here. It's prophesied, but I'm stating it clearly. And when he said it, he's basically essentially saying, I am willing. It's the Father's will, and I'm going to, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to acquiesce with the Father's will. The Father's will is my will, and the Father's will is that he loves the world so much that, yes, he is willing to cleanse the world, and he's going to use me as the vehicle to do that. He's going to pour out his justice on me, which is going to leave an opening for all those who would be in Jesus in for the last 2,000 years. And even before that, people were looking forward to the cross. They couldn't see it in its fullness, but that cross episode was the epicenter, again, as I said earlier, of all humankind. So he cl clearly stated it. And he stated again in this way. And, and I'm going to have some of our precious friends. <laughs> uh, this often, by the way, just this, this visits my mind, this passage. But I'm going to have, uh, you, many of us are indebted to our friend Pete Dine, who's been doing an extraordinary, all of our AV team for sure. Uh, but Pete has been doing this long, arduous process of editing and, and somehow making you know us look good. And thank you, Pete and his precious wife, B. They're going to read for us now Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Take it away, Dines. Thank you, Jeffrey. Good morning. Day 373 since lockdown. Hard to believe this is our 53rd online service. B will read... Mark 2, verses 14 through 17. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Back to you, Pastor Jeff. Thanks, Pete and B. Don't you love, I just love you guys' accent. I always, we, we have executive team meetings or something. I say, Pete, why don't you pray, man? I just need to hear. Somehow it talk, It just feels like it's coming straight from the throne room when, when Pete and both Pete and B speak. So uh, thank you so much for reading that. But did you catch that? Jesus is, Jesus is saying, again, clearly stating, I didn't come for the, the well. I came for the sick. I came for the sick. In other words, of course I'm willing. It was my very purpose. My clearly stated purpose is, yes, I'm willing to cleanse you. No, you've not gone too far. No, it's available to you today. No, but you don't know how I'm struggling. I, I even struggle with thoughts of unbelief and different things. Let me just tell you, he's willing to cleanse you today completely, your soul, which is much more significant than even a physical healing. Yes, we talked about this a number of weeks back. I, God in his gracious, passionate love for us for sure. He loves, at times he heals us. At times it's not his will. He Eventually he's going to take us all. And as I've said before, I maybe one day I'll just die of nothing. But most of us die of something. So every person that's ever lived on this planet, other than a couple of guys, Elijah and Enoch, that were taken to heaven, everybody's end up, end up dying of something. Okay, so but what's the real significant thing is that he's willing to cleanse. He is willing to cleanse your soul. He's willing to clothe you in his righteousness. He is willing. Wow, how do we know that? He clearly stated it. Now his accusers, interestingly enough, 
give us a perspective into God's plan to be with the unclean, his plan to be with the sick. Even his accusers were very clear about this. Matthew chapter 11, let me read this for you. But to what shall we compare, what to, to what shall I compare this generation? Jesus speaking here. It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children, saying, We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance, and we sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, the religious leaders of his time, he has a demon. John's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's controlled by Satan. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, so this was his accuser. These were his accusers. Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and what? And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So even his accusers, those who wanted to see him completely eliminated from the scene and would be part of God's very plan, unknowingly, unwittingly, to actually have the lamb go and be slain for the world. But they were their very words were clear. He is a friend of sinners. So again, I'm asking you the question, is Jesus willing, irrespective of where you are? Even his accuser said, well, obviously, look at him. He's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with crazy people. He's hanging out with Mary Magdalene. She was full of demons. John's saying he's a, you know, he's the Messiah. He's crazy. He's got demons. Even his accusers, it, though in a backdoor type of fashion, were clearly stating that Jesus was willing. And they're saying he was even hanging out with these nearly wells. So it was, it was always going to be, and here's the next category, the prophets had always seen there were going to be a group of people who, and I'm calling them the admittedly helpless. <laughs> In other words, we have to admit it, the admittedly helpless, that were going to be swept up into God's astonishing plans of total and complete cosmos cleaning. He's going to clean the cosmos, right? How's he going to do it? Well, the prophets were seeing it. So now the prophets are clearly stating that God is willing. Jesus stated it. His accusers stated it. And now the prophets are clearly making a claim in advance of Jesus that God's going to be willing. But unfortunately, there, I don't know if any of you watch Shark Tank, right? Oh, I've seen it a few times. And they've got a guy on there, and I don't know what his name is, but he, call, he goes by the name of Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. I, thought, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be called Mr. Wonderful, but anyway, that's his, I guess that's his moniker, Mr. Wonderful. Well, I can tell you right now, the prophets had seen God's willingness to come down and cleanse people who were not Mr. Wonderful and Mrs. Wonderful. And in fact, it gave them such interest, used such interesting metaphors to describe the people who God was willing to reach out to. Again, it, it, it appears God's coming down for the sinners. Not for some righteous nation, Israel, who's always, you know, living up to their, uh, their calling. No, they very rarely lived up to their calling. Some of these were directed specifically to Israel. But even through Israel, they were directed to us. But here's a few of the people, a few of the people, and some of the descriptives, either similes, metaphors, or whatever, analogies that God, through the prophets, was using. I am willing, and here's who I'm willing, the admittedly helpless, they're going to be sheep, <laughs> they're going to be birds of the air. They're going to be wild beasts. They're going to be people who deserve the stroke. 
They deserve to be executed, but I am willing. And then finally, folks who simply couldn't do anything for themselves, the spiritually blind, the spiritually dead, and then he goes on and uses things like bears and doves and gropers and moaners and all this other kind. I know you're thinking, well, where's he going with this? Well, let's go back into the prophets and see. Again, we're trying to establish, is God willing to you today, right here? Is God willing to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? The answer to that clearly, clearly, now we're going to see it through the prophets, was yes. Ezekiel chapter 34, let me read. Therefore, again, Ezekiel speaking, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field. We'll come back to the beasts of the field again in a minute. For lack of a shepherd. Okay, so who are the beasts of the field? Well, I, it, it can, they may have been overtaken by some wild animals, but also very often the Gentiles, the nations were considered the beasts of the field. So yeah, these are the bad guys. We're the good guys. And my, sh- my, my, my flock here, is being taken advantage of by the leaders of Israel. And this is even, uh, again, 600 years before the time of Jesus. And they're struggling for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am, I'm against the shepherds. And here's what I'm going to do. Okay, you ready? Here's what God's saying he's going to do one day. I'm going to demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. Okay, so there's going to be a transition. So the spiritual leaders of Israel, God is going to take their authority, their spiritual authority away. And again, this is 600 years before Jesus. And they are going to cease from feeding the sheep. And then, you ready? So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them anymore. Now listen to what he says in verse 11. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Oh, now catch this. The sheep don't have a flock. Here's God through the prophet Ezekiel, 600 years in advance, looking down through the corridors of time and said, I myself am going to shepherd these sheep. Verse 12 says, The shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I'm going to deliver them from all the places, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Here's sheep, you know, walking, you know, kind of walking around. It's gloomy. It's cloudy. Get the picture. Get the get the scene here. And they're looking, but there's no shepherds. The shepherds are over there. They're feeding themselves. They're taking advantage of their position that God's give them and they're not feeding the sheep so God says I personally will come down I will come down and shepherd them and then Jesus 600 years appears and he begins to talk about I am the shepherd and this is these are my sheep and I'm not going to lose any of them and then he uses parables and language talking about shepherd and sheep do you think that he wasn't referring to Ezekiel's vision here some 600 of course he was what again are the prophets saying? Here's sheep, right? They don't deserve it. They're just wandering around. Gloomy day, cloudy day, don't know where to go, getting caught, you know, who knows, falling off cliffs, 
you know, getting stuck in mud, who knows? I mean, they have no idea. They're, they're going to starve. They're going to, I mean, sheep, it's not a very positive view. But there's going to come a people, the admittedly helpless, that are going to, you know what, I'm, I am one of those sheep. And my life is pretty gloomy right now. And we're going to look to Jesus. And what do the prophets see? They saw that Jesus would be willing to shepherd us. Can you see that? Is that not beautiful? So first of all, sheep. The prophets were seen, the admittedly helpless sheep. Birds of the air, Ezekiel 17. Listen, verse 22 through 24. Thus says the Lord God, I will also take a sprig from a lofty top of the cedar and I will, I will set it out and I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. So get the picture here. A lofty cedar and I'm going to take a top twig and I'm going to pluck it out, okay? And I'm going to plant it on a high and lofty mountain. What is that? What picture are you deriving here? It's... I think clearly it's talking about the cross here in the future. On a high mountain of Israel, I will plant it that it may bring forth bows and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. So I'm going to take a sprig. I'm going to take it on a high and lofty mountain. I will picture that as the cross. Then I'm going to plant that seed and it's going to bear fruit. And the birds of every kind will nest under it. It's not just the Jewish people, it's every kind of bird, every, all the nations, all the goyim in Hebrew, the nations, the non-Jews, they will nest and they will nest in the shade of its branches and all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will perform it. So again, you know, a bird, that's not a very, you know, Birds come, they're going to be nesting under the shade of a twig that was plucked out, planted on a high hill, buried, and then bearing fruit. And it grows into even a greater tree, and then the birds of the air are going to come and nest in its branches. I'm asking you again the question this morning, is Jesus willing don't live in a place where you think, well, God's just too angry and therefore I don't believe in him or who can really, you know. You have to stop. Understand. God was saying through the prophets, again, I am willing. In Christ, I am willing. It's in Christ. Christ is the one that's on the high hill, on the high mountain. Christ is the one who's planted. And Christ is the one, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, who is and was resurrected. I gives me shivers down my spine. Okay, wild beasts, Isaiah 56. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather them to those already gathered. All you beasts of the field, we saw that again just a minute ago in the prophets here, the beasts of the field, you come and eat. You come and eat. Is Jesus willing? Well, even the Gentiles, the dirty polytheistic unclean, not part of the nation, not part of the covenant, certainly had no concept of the Mosaic covenant. I mean, even the dirty nations, and here's God saying, I'm willing. Wild beasts, come eat. Birds, sheep, I am willing. How about people who deserved the stroke? Isaiah 53, one of the most popular, for good reason, Pictures for Jewish people coming to know Jesus is this picture of the suffering servant. He was oppressed. 
He was afflicted, and yet he didn't even open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Again, this is being written 700 years before Jesus. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Why was he cut off? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. So who deserved the justice? Well, we did. First the nation of Israel, and then by extension, of course, the whole world. Of course we deserve the stroke. We deserve to be cut off from God and his holiness. The question again this morning is, was, is God willing? Well, he's saying through Isaiah that, yeah, I'm going to cut this suffering lamb who was not even going to open his mouth. I'll cut him off out of the land of the living for those who the stroke was due. Is he willing? You better believe he was willing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have taken the life of his own son. Again, let me say it again. God's justice was not constrained in Jesus. He poured it out upon Jesus. You got to get that. And then lastly, folks who couldn't do anything for themselves. Again, this is more specifically talking about Israel, but again, by extension, all humanity. Now catch this. Isaiah 59, verse 9 through 16. Therefore, justice is a million miles from us. It's far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. Maybe you're there this morning. Just doesn't feel like there's any righteousness in my life. We hope for light, but behold, behold darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. That's what I said earlier. Who, did, who is Jesus willing to reach out to? Who is God willing to reach out to? Well, gropers, you know, blind people, spiritually speaking about. We grope like those, using a lot of simile here, we grope like those who have no eyes. Stumblers, we stumble at midday, as in the twilight. Maybe you're stumbling today. You have to stumble. I continue to have this thing that besets me, this besetting sin. I, I just, I want to be kind, and yet I find myself being a fool. I, I want to be generous, and I can find myself hoarding. I, whatever it is, I struggle, and whatever, you name it. Maybe you're one of those, you know, I'm the stumbler at midday. Among those who are vigorous, we are, we're like dead people. All of us growl like bears and moan, sadly, like doves, growling and moaning. Now, I don't know if this is going to work, and maybe they'll have to edit this out, but when I come in, I sense this in the morning. I got a perfect picture of this. When I get up early... It's still dark, usually around the house, certainly now with daylight savings time. I get up, usually very early, and it's dark, and I try to make our way through the living room. I, excuse me, I try to make through, through our bedroom, you know, not trying not to wake Laura, and I exit our door, and then I go into our living room. And then it's like a haunted house. <laughs> it is. I got all these animals that have gotten up a little bit earlier, and first of all, it's kind of dark. You really can't see. And then there's a little apparition that runs across the floor, you know, hobbling. It's the three-legged cat. It's white, and it looks like a ghost. And it's kind of moaning a little bit. And then, uh, and then there's another cat over here, and it's kind of moaning. And then, there's, and, then, and then I hear from the kitchen, I hear this, ooh, ooh, the dogs, the, the basset can hear me. And now I, it sounds like ghosts coming from the kitchen. Ooh, ooh, it's, it's terrible. Actually... 
Well, I'll play it. I don't know if it's going to come out right here, but this morning I said they won't believe me. I said maybe we can maybe we can pull this up. This is when I get up in the morning. This is what I hear. Well, I think you get the point. There, you know, it's just this moaning coming in the kitchen. I gotta eat, I gotta eat, I gotta eat. I'm dying out here, you know. And then this little skeletar dog, the skinny greyhound chihuahua that we saved from the brink of starvation, who's completely deaf, can't see at all, has glaucoma over both eyes. It looks like kind of one of those pictures you'd see in a horror show, just little cloudy eyes and all that. And she comes kind of, you hear the it's almost like a skeleton coming towards you. It's a haunted house, I'm telling you, it's a haunted That's what this is like. There's not a whole lot. The people are moaning and groping and stumbling at midday. I mean, this is not a very, this is not a very encouraging picture for Israel or by, again, by extension, humanity. We hope for justice, but there's none. And for salvation, it's a million miles away from us. Our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Look, we all intuitively know that we just fall so far short. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from God, speaking oppression and revolt, my mouth's saying bad things and conceiving in and uttering from the heart, lying, I'm a liar, you know, I'm a lying Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the street. Uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw this. The gropers, the moaners, the whiners, the complainers, the, the people who stumble at midday, he saw all of it. And what was his response? And it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was nobody to intercede. Nobody can make this right. There's not one human being on the planet. And that's how we have to be, why we have to be so cautious. So many religions will put up, hold up a man as being the, the person, and it's only one. He looked for someone to intercede, and nobody, nobody was there. So what happened? It says, then his own arm, his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. Who was his own right arm? Jesus. So here's the scenario. You talk about friend of sinners, friend of moaners and gropers and stumblers and, and people who hope for liars. And uh, Was Jesus willing to cleanse the leper? The answer is yes. Did Jesus clearly state that he was willing? Of course it did. I came to save the world, not to judge it. Well, even the accusers knew. He's hanging out with sinners. And then God the Father speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, gropers and moaners and liars and all that. Am I willing? Well, I can't find anybody to intercede, so I'll send my own son, my own right arm. A very clear picture through scripture of the coming Messiah. And it would be Jesus, his very substance. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you identify with any of this? Are you a sheep? Stumbler? You know? Are you a sinner? Maybe you feel that. Maybe you 
But you've got to know that, that God has seen you in the unformed substance of the earth. He knew you were going to be a mess. And he had a plan anyway, as we can see clearly, both through Jesus' words and God's words through the prophets. It was going to always be God doing the heavy lifting. It was always going to be him doing the work, making things right again. He hates death. He hates separation. And he hates loss. And because of that, he's willing. Listen to Ezekiel. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Now, maybe that's not part of you. Maybe you think somehow God gets a sadistic pleasure out of pouring out justice on the earth so he can get rid of the bad people and somehow save the good people. We've already established that over and over. God hates, takes no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. But then the next part of Ezekiel 18.32 says, so repent and live. Turn around, come on, come. It doesn't mean turn around, It come towards me. Come towards me. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. I don't have pleasure in where you are. I don't have pleasure that you're groping along on a gloomy day. I don't have any pleasure in that. Second Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise. Some count slowness, but he's patient. He's not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I don't know how it could be more clear. He hates the death of the one. He hates death. He hates it. He hates separation. He hates loss. Is God willing? The whole story of the Bible says, yes, he's willing. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed in intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. There is coming a day of justice to set all things right. But I will tell you that it is, as Isaiah had seen, it is an unusual task for God to bring justice. An unusual test. It's not his disposition. He hates death, separation, and loss. So again, I ask you, is he willing? The scripture's clear. Not only in the story of Jesus and the leper, but it is true throughout the entire story of the Bible. Now, last thing I'll say, there's just two things required for salvation. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube or something. Maybe it's years later. I don't know. Maybe you're part of our community and you just never really understood until right now. You you know, you always kind of felt you're part of the church, but then you just kind of felt separated and weren't sure that God was ever going to accept you. And I hope this morning has established that the answer to that, without any equivocation, is yes. But there are two things. First, you've got to understand that you're radically sick. Absolutely. You are the problem. You are the oppressor. You're not just the oppressed. You are part of the problem. You're the oppressor. Your nature, regardless of how good you may be compared to your neighbor, whatever, falls immeasurably short, immeasurably short from being okay in God's presence. So first you've just got to say, I am the groper, the murmur, the liar, the sheep, the bird, you know. I am all those things. I'm lost. It's a gloomy day in my life and I have nowhere to go. I don't have any concept. I have no, no one to help me here. If you can just admit that, be the part of the admittedly helpless, then it's a simple faith in Jesus. The second part of that is simply that the leper responded in faith. Did you know that's all the leper said? You are able to cleanse me. You have the power to do that. And once you do, you can make me clean, he says. It's always and will always be the entrance into the kingdom. Your belief that Jesus 
on your behalf makes you right before the Father. He was the one that interceded, and it was always his will. It was always his plan, even before the very first fall. Back in the garden. It was already the plan. Now, I know all these things are hard, and so do you qualify? Would you be part of that group this morning? Well, let's pray. Maybe right now might be the first time. If you've never thought you qualified today, you can be qualified. We've gone through it. The text couldn't be more clear. I want you to pray after me. Lord Jesus, I'm part of the problem. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Jesus was a friend of sinners because I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I, I'm, I'm a lost sheep. I'm a bird with no shade. I am a wild beast. My instincts are animalistic to the core. I'm a liar. I have been at various points in my life. And I, I'm a liar. I murmur. I complain. I, I, all those things. Lord, I am part of the problem. But now, for the, maybe the first time, I see that you are willing to accept me. Not only to accept me, but you already love me. And so today I choose and I ask you, will you cleanse me? And I'll tell you right now, folks, if you prayed that, his answer is yes. And I would say, go tell someone, email us, text us, get, get a hold of us. Let us know that now you understand that you are part of the family. And we'll do, we'll do everything we can to help you in your journey. So Church of the Red Door, have a glorious Sunday. Get ready for this next couple of weeks. Get ready for Pastor Paul, what God has on his heart for Palm Sunday. Get ready for our Good Friday, the following Friday, and then, and then our Easter presentation that we're going to have online this year. And we love you. We, we cherish you. We cherish this community. And I just pray you have a glorious week.